This morning we're finishing up our sermon series on holy ground where we've been looking at different ways that geography has been used throughout scripture for di- in different symbolic ways. A couple of weeks ago you might remember that, that Trinity talked about those mountaintop experiences and the way the mountains are used in the Bible. And then last week we talked about the valleys, the valley of the shadow of death and how God is with us even there. And so today we're talking about that place right in the middle, that flat plain between the mountains and the valleys, and we'll be looking at Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 31. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church. And for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 17. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when people speak well of you, For that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So today is Julianne's birthday, and I'm very thankful that we are together. Some of you have probably heard the story before about how she and I went out on our first date. As I like to tell the story, we had been playing this game called Words with Friends on our phone. It's kind of like a Scrabble game that you used to play. Some people, I guess, still play it. We don't play it anymore. But uh, we were playing with each other on the phone, and then we would send words back and forth. And eventually, after playing a game, we would see who was one. And I, one, and I have to tell you, most of the time, I won. I discovered pretty quickly I was better than her at the game. There was also a message feature on this game where you could send messages back and forth to each other. And every now and then I would send a little message to her showing her my humor, showing her my wit, showing her my charm. How could she resist after all? 
After a few games, I realized I should use this to my advantage in knowing that I could win most of the games with her, and so I sent her a friendly wager over the message system. I said, after the next game, if, if you win the next game, I will wear a Florida Gator shirt with you wherever you want to go. And if I win, you have to go on a date with me wearing a Georgia Bulldog shirt. Well, sure enough, as predicted, I won. And she wanted to go to a movie theater wearing a Georgia Bulldog t-shirt. That's the way I tell the story. This is how Julianne tells the story from her journal, January of 2013. Finally, some news to report on the Brad front. After endless games with this guy, he has finally worked up the courage to ask me out. After months of playing words with friends, I was about to quit. He has proposed some sort of wager to get me to go on a date with him. I suppose I will have to let him win again. If he asks, I will suggest we go to a movie. That way I don't have to listen to his terrible jokes. At least he has nice hair. More to come. I have to tell you, I like my version of that story better. Isn't it funny how we can have the same memories and the same stories, but depending on who's telling the story, we can tell them a little different ways. We can have little different nuances depending on how we remember the story. In fact, this week when we go and spend time with my family for Thanksgiving, we will share all the same stories that we always tell and we will talk over each other, correcting each other, reminding each other that no, that's not exactly how that story goes because each of us, depending on how we remember the story, we remember different little nuances that can actually change the meaning of the story depending on who's telling the story or who's listening to the story. That exact same thing happens throughout our Bible, especially in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John often tell the same story, but depending on which Gospel you are reading, those Gospels have a little bit of different nuances when they share a story. For instance, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It's in all four Gospels in one form or fashion, but there's only one Gospel that shares with us that the food came from a little boy who remembered to bring his lunch. That's the Gospel of John. All the others leave that little detail out. And we have to believe there must be some reason that the author, the one who wrote down the Gospel of John, included that in his version of the story. The same thing happens in our passage today. Our passage today from the Gospel of Luke, you might have, have, have recognized that there are a few things in there that we call the Beatitudes. The blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, blessed are those who mourn. But the more famous version of that, the one that we read most often, comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew has a longer version of the Beatitudes, and in the Gospel of Matthew, it comes in what, a, a big, long teaching from Jesus that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus goes up to a mountainside, and we remember we talked about mountains a couple of weeks ago. Jesus goes up to a mountainside, and in a very wonderful uh, move by Matthew, remember math, mountainsides were where people went up to hear the voice of God, to be in the presence of God. In the Gospel of Matthew, people go up to the mountaintop, and whose voice do they hear? They hear Jesus' voice this time. A little signal that they are hearing the voice of God through Jesus Christ. 
And this long teaching begins with the Beatitudes in, in the Gospel of Matthew. It's a long teaching that includes the, the Lord's Prayer. It includes don't hide your light under a bushel basket. It includes don't worry about certain things. And it includes the golden rule, just like Luke's version does. As you can see, Luke's version is shorter. We didn't read all of it, but it's still a little bit shorter than the Gospel of Matthew. He gives a, an abridged version, and he includes bits and pieces that Matthew doesn't include. The parts about the Lord's Prayer are included later in the Gospel of Luke. The parts about uh, hiding your light under a basket is later in the Gospel of Luke. But then there are some other pieces right here that Luke includes that Matthew doesn't include. And one of those things is, one of those differences is the location. Whereas the Gospel of Matthew has the Sermon on the Mount, the Gospel of Luke has the Sermon, is called the Sermon on the Plain. The Sermon on the Flat Place. Instead of being up on a mountaintop, preaching and teaching to all the people who are looking up to Jesus, Jesus has actually just been up on the mountaintop. He's just named all of his disciples and called them, and then they come down the mountain to where all the people are, and he gives this teaching on the flat place, on the plain. Now what we've talked about the past couple of weeks is that the, the mountain has symbolism in the Bible. The valley has symbolism in the Bible. I don't know that the, the flat place has as much symbolism in the Bible, but I have to believe that the writer who wrote down the Gospel of Luke chose that for a reason. There's a reason that he says this teaching takes place on the flat place. This teaching takes place on the flat place because it's here on the flat place. If we read what Jesus talks about here on the flat place, it's here on the flat place where we show each other who God is. If the mountaintop is where we hear God's voice, if the valley is the place where we cry out for God to be with us, the, the flat place is a place where we as disciples Share God's grace with each other. And if you read this version of the Sermon on the Plain, that is actually a very revolutionary thing. To all be standing on the same flat ground, looking each other in the eye, valuing each other just as we value ourselves. That's a very revolutionary thing for Jesus. It's a very revolutionary thing for the people of ancient Israel because the place, the people of ancient Israel were a lot like we are today. It was a world of people who had and a world of people who had not. A world of people who found their value in being rich and being powerful and having authority and having all the resources they wanted and, and being valued and having honor all because of what they did for themselves and what maybe they could do for other people. At the same time, there were a group of people who had not, a group of people who were not valued, who were despised and rejected, who were unloved and unvalued, who were people who were constantly being shamed for who they are. Not too unlike the world that we live in now. And if you read the Gospel of Luke, or if you've been studying with us on Wednesday nights, you know that the Gospel of Luke is truly focused on the people who are considered the last and the least and the lost. Giving grace to the last and the least and the lost. Lifting up the last and the least and the lost. And maybe most revolutionary, seeing the face of God in the last and the least 
and the lost. The Gospel of Luke preaches the Sermon on the Plain because it's there when we are standing on the plain. Rich people, poor people, the haves, the have-nots, people who come from good families and good backgrounds, people who come from other parts of the world that are despised and rejected, people who face prejudice every day, people who do prejudge every day, right there on that flat plain, looking each other in the eye, staring each other in the eye, called to love each other. And that's a revolutionary thing for the Gospel of Luke. It's hard to ignore each other when we're looking each other in the eye. I can do it all the time. I know I do it myself. When I see somebody that makes me uncomfortable, I just look the other way. But it's hard to do that when we're looking each other in the eye. I was having lunch the other day over at a restaurant here in town, and I was picking up my food, in fact, and I looked at the door, and uh, a mother and her child had just finished eating, and they were heading out the door, and before they could get out the door, the mother ran into a friend of hers, and so they started talking at the door. Well, her son, who was with her, was patient for a little while, but finally he, he got a little impatient, so he started tapping her on the arm and, and jerking on her shoulder, trying to get her to pay attention to him. She had apparently been through this before because she did a very good job of ignoring him. Finally, after long enough, he let go of her arm, walked over to a chair, pulled the chair over to where she was, climbed up in the chair, and looked her right in the face. And that's when mom said, I think it's time for us to go. It's hard for us to ignore each other when we're looking each other in the eye. But that's exactly what Jesus does. He comes down the mountain right to where we are. And he calls on us to look at our neighbors in the eye. That's the other difference about the Gospel of Matthew from the Gospel of Luke. He doesn't just call people blessed, but He also gives us those woes. And the purpose of that is to bring everybody on the same level. If you are hungry to God, you are blessed. If you are in mourning to God, you are blessed. If you are poor to God, you are blessed. But if you are rich... Woe to you. If you are full right now, woe to you. If you have everything you think you need right now that gives you value, woe to you. He brings the haves down and the have-nots up so that we are standing on the same field, looking each other in the eye. That's hard for us to do. It's hard for me to do. Let me say it that way. It takes practice to be able to look at someone who you, who you know can't benefit you at all, can't help you in your life at all, but to value them the way God calls us to value them. To, to take off your outer cloak and give it to them when they ask just for your shirt. To, to let them sometimes hurt you and take advantage of you, but to not give them that power over you to stand there still on that flat place and look them in the eye as children of God. It takes practice to do that. And I have to admit, I'm probably not very good at it. One of the best examples I've seen of that or read of that, that, of that is a, man, a, a book called Adam the Beloved written by Henri Nouwen. It's a wonderful book and I'd encourage you to read it. You all know I love Henri Nouwen and read him all the time. It's a, it's a great story about Nouwen who, as you know, was a, a wonderful professor both at Harvard and at Yale. He had written many, many books. People respected him and loved him all over the world. And, and Nouwen got to the point where he felt this incredible pressure to always produce, to always write more books, to teach beautiful lectures. And, and he got 
got so tired of that pressure because that's what gave him value. So he wanted to go on a, a sabbatical for a little while to, to, to get away from that and just to write on his own terms. And he went to this community, the community called the, the Larsh community. It was a, a place where people with special needs lived and they invited people like now to come and live for a while and learn from those people around him. And he lived there for a while within his mind thinking he would just be sort of a spiritual guide to the people there while also having plenty of time to write his books and do what he wanted to do. But soon after he moved in there, he was asked to take care of a young man named Adam. Adam lived a very different life than Henri now. And Adam had had medical problems his entire life, from seizures as a child to because of, of poor medical, medical care throughout his life. He had, was no longer able to speak. He was no longer able to walk. He was barely able to feed himself. He needed constant care. In fact, to get him up in the morning was a two-hour process of, of getting him up, getting him changed, getting him bathed, putting his clothes on, and feeding him. Well, of course, when Nowen was asked to do this, he said, absolutely not. I'm not qualified to do this. I might hurt him or he might hurt me. Can't we get somebody else in here to, to take care of this person? I'm just here to, to be a spiritual guide, a spiritual leader while I go off and write my books. People there said, no, we think this is important for you and it's important for Adam. So finally he was convinced and he spent two hours every morning learning how to take care of Adam day by day, step by step. And finally he got to the point where he realized, I can just do these little chores and get this done as quickly as possible and I can get back to my day. But as you might imagine, that was hard on Adam. He started to have more seizures, and in fact, he would show by his discomfort that this moving through these chores so fast were, was not helpful for him. He wasn't a list of chores. And so finally, Nowen gave in, and he started every day, step by step, doing the things that Adam needed him to do. And he realized that this person who could offer absolutely nothing to him turned out to be a pretty good listener. That's what happens when you don't talk back. You end up being a pretty good listener. And so now in, in these moments, in these methodical moments of trying to help Adam get up out of bed, would share with him his story, share with him his worries, share with him his concerns. And he started to value those two hours every single day he had with this person who could absolutely offer him nothing back. And he realized that Adam did offer him something. Adam valued him. Not because of how much money he had, not because of the books that he wrote, not because of the lectures that he gave. Adam valued him because he was a child of God. He was a, a person on that plane living this life with them. Nowen would later say that some of his friends from university would come and, and try to see what he was doing and, and learn what he was doing at Larch, and they would always say, Nowen, you're wasting your time here. You should be back at the university writing books, making money, giving lectures. The people of the world need you. And they said, you have no idea. This is the most I have been ministered to in my life because I've spent time with this person that the rest of the world feels like has nothing to offer. But to me, he offers me everything I need. Now most of us don't have dramatic experiences like that with people like Adam, but I dare say there are people all around us that we discard, that we overlook, that we turn our eyes away from. 
It's just too uncomfortable for us to see the people around us in need. It's too uncomfortable for us to to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. It's far easier for us to stand up on the mountaintop and to look down at those people below us and say, every now and then it would be nice for us to help them, but to, to humble ourselves and to lift them up, to be on an equal playing field. That's too hard for us to do. But that's what Jesus Christ calls us to do in the Sermon on the Plain. We show God's grace to one another when we love our neighbors as ourselves. When we love our enemies as ourselves. When we take the time and the energy that we would spend taking care of ourselves and we humble ourselves enough to love someone else that way. That's what happens on the plat place. That's what happens on the plain. We have the opportunity to show our neighbor that God loves them ever so much more so as God loves us. Some of you might have seen that old movie, Patch Adams. It's a true story about a, a man who, who used uh, health care and used humor and joy to try to give health to other people. He realized that in the midst of the pain and the suffering that we all go through in the world, that that joy and that happiness is, is healing for us. But of course, you may know or you may not know, he got in trouble for a lot of the work that he did. People said, you don't have a license to practice medicine. You don't have a license to practice health care. In fact, he was brought before a, a, a judge to answer for the work that he was doing. And they asked him very specifically, are you treating patients at your facility, at your ranch? His response was, every person who comes to our ranch is both a patient and a doctor. Because every person who comes to our ranch both has needs and both has ways that they can help. Every person in this world has needs to be loved, to be valued, to be cherished. And every person has the opportunity to share that love and that value with someone else. That's what Jesus Christ tells us on the plane in the Gospel of Luke. To love your neighbor, yes, but to love your enemy too. To do unto others truly as you want done unto you. Think about the things that you want for yourself. Do we want them for everybody else? Do we work for them for everybody else? That's what happens on the plane. That's actually what justice is. Not when we stand on a mountaintop where we're comfortable looking down on those people who need us. But when we're willing to humble ourselves and also bring them up, that's what justice is. That's what God's grace is. That's what God's love is. We show that grace and love when we stand side by side together. We show that grace and love when we do unto others as we want done to us. Thanks be to God. Amen.